Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rilston and we are recording on a Friday afternoon after Manchester United drew 2-2 with Tottenham at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium down in the capital. Um, showing from United a really good performance and then they came out in the second and lacked a bit of intensity and control and threw another two-goal lead away, just like they did against Sevilla in the first leg. Now, my two colleagues, Samuel Luckhurst and Tyrell Marshall, who are at the game down in London, have only just returned this afternoon, so they're going to join me right now and pick apart the game and go through some uh, world-class analysis, I expect, from you both lads. So, Samuel, how are you today? I'm not bad, thank you. Uh, it's It feels like a bit of a whirlwind week, but I think I'm still recovering from the the day at Wembley, the very long day at Wembley, and, and a bit more travelling involved as well. But it's 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 hopefully settling. But then we're we're down at Brighton and, and London again next week as well. And I'm I'm not in London for the coronation as well. I, I hasten to add, I'm I'm not one of these uh, maniacal monarchists. See, Samuel, you've been in Spain, you've been at Wembley, and you've been at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Gig, but I'm it? going to Lee Sports Village tonight. That's where oh. everyone wants to go. Everyone wants to go. Ty, how are you? Yes, good, thank you. Good, good to be back from London again. Throw in a, a press conference in Teddington. And uh, I've been to London three times, there and back three times in seven days. So yeah, nice of uh, nice United to be back in Manchester this weekend and, uh, and playing locally for a change. A nice, easy weekend for us. I was wondering where that was, but it's better than the uh, the, the press conference that you had in the Europa League. Where was it when you were in the gym hall? Um, I can't remember who was it. Oh, that Sherry. was in Moldova, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I try not to think about that trip, to be honest. I'm, I'm yeah, still, I'm, was, still, uh, I'm still gutted. I out on interesting. That I'm really, really gutted not to have to Moldova and take that off. You're very sincere, Samuel. Everyone had a great, uh, we'll, we'll a great crack time. On. <laughs> we'll crack on obviously Sam as I've just said in the introduction uh, a fantastic first performance uh, first half performance really uh, they look really good they were dominant and they probably obviously it was 1-0 they got the second goal before the break they would have been disappointed not to be 2-0 up I think if Rashford hadn't scored um, but they've come out in that second half and it's kind of happened again where you know as I've said <clears> the intensity lacked they lost that control in midfield and it's becoming a bit of a I was going to say a problem but maybe not because in the context of the season Yes, it's a disappointing result, but it doesn't really matter, does it? Because United are six points clear of fifth and they've got two games in hand. So, But nonetheless, still a little bit disappointing to, to throw away the game in that manner. I was, I was slightly surprised speaking to some supporters after the game uh, who are starting to get a bit uh, pessimistic about United finishing in the top four. I, I still think it's pretty safe because Tottenham haven't got it in, it, in them to... Um, to take advantage of any more uh, drop points by United. Liverpool, it's a long shot. Villa is probably even a longer shot. I still expect United to to finish in the top four. They're, they're not necessarily favourites for third anymore, given how rampant Newcastle are, scoring 10 goals in their last two games. I mean, if it does come down to goal difference, there's only ever going to be one winner between those two clubs. But I suppose looking at that game last night, that there is this troubling trend now with United where they they can't go a month or can't go two weeks without conceding early in the second half. And there have probably been more of those goals this season than, than I thought when I looked at it. Um, I think in, in terms of the first 15 minutes of the second half, there are... I think they've been some like 12 or 13 conceded. But in the last 27 games, it's happened 10 times. So it's happening on average more than three games and last night was the first time I think that United conceded 
in the first 15 minutes of second half of the season whilst ahead. And the only shock about Tottenham's equaliser was that it, it came as, as, as belatedly as it did. It had been coming for a long, long time before then. And as troubling as and, and problematic as Ten Hag's, some of Ten Hag's substitutions have been this month, I mean, he, he, he really did... Um, there was there was muddled thinking at Newcastle. Uh, there were the soccer aid subs uh, against Sevilla in the home leg, and I suppose there were a couple more soccer aid subs with Veghorst and, and Malassia coming on last night. I mean, Veghorst, I don't know where he was playing. A friend suggested he was the disruptor, and maybe that was the the, the method in in Ten Hag's madness, but it didn't work. And and Malassia has been by by a long way his his worst permanent signing. Unfortunately for him, he he just looks like what he is. He's a he's a backup left back from the Eredivisie, but the tone was was rather set by Marshall and and Fred coming on. I thought Ericsson was excellent, and Sancho had had scored as a starter for the first time since September. I think it would have been maybe that that infamous game away at Sheriff, and it just seemed remiss to. In a way, you've got to. You know, commend Ten Hag in that he said that he was going to make those changes before Porro scored. So he's being proactive. He was seeking a solution, but there've got to be times where I think you've got to trust the players. And United responded pretty well to go for, to the scoreline going to two one because Fernandez should have buried that opportunity. Uh, but unfortunately for United, they just cannot bury teams. I think that's the nineteenth time this season they've scored two goals in a match, and that's becoming an on-running theme in that they just can't score enough goals in a game. They've scored at the very most, four in a game this season. That's only happened twice. You compare that to the, the more ruthless clinical teams uh, who, who've really you know, raised the bar for, for thrashings in City and Liverpool, and it's it's pretty embarrassing by comparison. They, they should have at least put a couple, you know, two or three teams to the sword this season, but they just can't do it. And regarding this trend, this troubling trend for United of conceding goals early in the second half, it's it's happening in all manner of ways. More often than not, they are not winning the game or they're drawing the game. But the Liverpool example is a good one in that, in that it highlights that the mentality just isn't where it needs to be for the team and that they probably came out and they did come out quite early for the second half because they must have thought we've played quite decently in that first half. We've got the balance right. We've just not got the goal. And unfortunately, we've conceded late on. But if we perform like that again, we'll be fine. And there's almost this element that they are, they can underestimate opponents, whether they're winning or drawing or losing a game. And they massively underestimated Liverpool that day because they scored twice in the first five minutes of the second half. And that that set up uh, set it up for you know, the, the mother of all annihilations. And with last night, if, if you're going in at halftime as, as United, you're thinking, well, I know it's Tottenham, but you'd expect them to come out and be on the front foot the first 10 or 15 minutes of the second half and just ensure that we, we match them for aggression, that we try and keep them at bay. The crowd are starting to turn, so ensure that the crowd don't get any encouragement whatsoever. And they didn't play anything like that. It was just, they seemed surprised that Tottenham came out as aggressively as they did and the goal was coming before Poro scored on, on the 56th minute uh, so although th they did not start that second half well at all before the goal came it was compounded by poor substitutions and um, yeah the, the, I mean Ten Hag wasn't happy with elements of the first half he thought they were too open I thought he was maybe a bit too harsh in his criticism of that because although Tottenham did have three or four good openings United had three or four really good chances and they they Again, they should have been probably further ahead at half time, but 
this is a team that is just not clinical enough. We've we've spoken before. I was writing the blog yesterday. You need two players who are going to be pushing thirty goals a season to be a real force. And only United have only got one of those players in Rashford. So um, again, there's an element of history repeating itself in that for the second time this month, tune up at half time, they throw it away. But that. that there have been a few games this month where they've stopped scoring at, at two goals and we said it many, many moons ago that goal scoring was going to be a recurring issue for them uh, for, for the rest of the season and it's, it's that, there's no way that's going to change. Yeah, they just can't seem to kill teams off. And it's happened time and time again. I mean, that's why a goal scorer is so desperately needed in the summer transfer window. And we will get onto one in a second. A certain Harry Kane we'll discuss that later. But Ty, obviously, um, Samuel's discussed the, the changes there. Um, and we've praised Tenog for most of the season for his substitutions and his in-game management. But I think it's fair to say in the last few games or the last few weeks and last month, um, he probably hasn't got it right on occasions with his changes. I mean... See Ericsson Sancho coming off, replaced by Fred Marshall. I personally didn't think that was a that those were bad changes in the end. Obviously Ericsson was having a really good game, um, but I thought Fred would provide his kind of trademark energy. But he really underperformed, didn't he? Um, and then Samuel's just joked the kind of soccer aid substitutions from Alassia and Werkhorst coming on. Do you think that kind of decided the game and gave Spurs that opportunity to to get an equaliser? Do you think it was it was that important those changes? Yeah, I, I mean, he, he just couldn't change the game in a positive way from the bench. It felt like every substitution gradually made, made United worse, really. Um, I was slightly surprised with that first double change. I, I mean, Tenag made the point in his press conference that you know United had lost control in, in the first 10 minutes, but it was a, a 10 minutes you'd probably, you, you know, you'd expect Spurs to come out and have a go. They could have regained it. Um, like I said, I thought Ericsson had a really good first half. I thought Sancho was playing well. So you're taking off two of your better players. Mar- you know, Martial has some qualities, but uh, and I'm making this off the top of my head. Maybe the stats will prove me wrong, but I'm not sure he's necessarily an ideal impact sub. I don't know if he's the type of player who's going to quickly adjust to the pace of a game. And by playing him central and, and moving Rashford to the left, and I thought Rashford had a really good 45 minutes at centre-forward, it felt like that affected United's attack for, for far too long. They didn't get back on the front foot until until it was 2-2, really, when, when Tottenham let them and Ryan Mason made some defensive subs. So, yeah, it, it did feel to me like the subs made United worse and he just he didn't have that that game-changing option off the bench, really. Um, you just didn't have the, the quality to, to bring on. But it, it also felt like the kind of game where I think both managers will be looking at it today and teams looking at it today and thinking there's there's the good, the bad and the ugly, really. It it did display their weaknesses. Tottenham were a mess in the first 45 minutes, completely devoid of confidence, and United should really have killed them. But United are so poor away from home, especially against the bigger clubs, that the, the second half just displayed their own, their own failings, that they can't control these games for 90 minutes. When something goes against them in, in these away games, they're... You know they end up all over the place, and and the away record has has, has got to improve. It it's just you know it, it's really poor. It's one win, and we were talking about it last night. One win against the top twelve in the Premier League, which was ninety third minute away at Fulham. Got one game left this season to try and fix that, but I don't think anyone seriously thinks they'll win at Brighton next week. I think that would be, you know, that would be a shock if United won away at Brighton, given what we've seen away from home from them this season. And I was looking at the stats earlier. They've got. They've got the best defensive record at home in the league this season and the 16th best defensive record away from home 
you know, it's it's staggering how that can be so, so, so different. You know, they've conceded eight goals at home and I think it's 31 in 16 away from home. And a lot of them have come in batches, but they are all over the place at times in away games. Why do you both think that is? Is it a mentality thing? Is it the way they approach the games? Um, I know I've suggested a few times it's kind of big games and big crowds seems to have a detrimental effect occasionally, doesn't it, on this team? Is it as simple as that? It's, I think it's... <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it is possibly an extension of last season where they, it did feel like they were rumbled with crowds back in the, the playing field levelled, and um, the classic example of that was was Maguire back at Leicester. It was the first time I think the previous two or three occasions he'd played at Leicester. There weren't any supporters there. His first touch last season, it went out for throwing, and he was culpable for three, if 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 not all, all four of their goals. Uh, yeah. yeah, and that. Where United are coming into this season, and the starting point they're at, and where they are now, they have made progress, but they are they are miles ahead. Sorry, miles off um, being a real genuine force again. It it does help that they're having good cup runs, and it will help if or when they're back in the Champions League next season. But the fact that Ten Hag said in the week that there needs to be improvement made to the squad depth in the transfer window that tells you that he knows that there are certain players in that squad who are peripheral players but they're just not up to it when they need to when they need to step up and I think we'd, we'd said that or I'd said anyway about two months ago I didn't think the away form was necessarily a concern but then Newcastle has happened Sevilla has happened and to a lesser extent last night happened where they are throwing a game away against a team who are in disarray and You've got the fans pretty much mutineering in, in, in the first half as well. So I think there are certain characters in the United team that you would want in that squad every day at the week. There are others there who are just not up to it. And the trouble with the depth is that when you bring... You look at the changes last night. With every player who came on, United got weaker. And Ten Hag is not an idiot. So he'll know that he's actually knowingly weaken, weakening United. He's just hoping that these players are going to do the job for the time they're on the pitch. If City make a change, and the comparison is pretty ludicrous anyway because of the quality of squads, but if City make a change, they don't get they don't get weaker. They operate the same way. But Eriksen is a player who keeps the ball. Fred is a player who has a tendency to do anything but keep the ball. Rashford is a dynamic striker. Marshall is a waste of space. Uh, Malassia is an inadequate left back. Veghorst is, a, is was bought as a striker, but United are playing him further and further away from goal because he cannot score goals. So when Tottenham is seeing these subs, they're not they're not unnerved by them. And if you you just put yourself in Eric Dyer's position after what Rashford did to him in the first half, who would he rather be up against, Rashford or Marshall? He would answer Marshall every time, and any defender would answer Marshall as well. Uh, again, you know, he had his gloves on last night, and they stayed on because he doesn't run anywhere near enough to to get warm enough to the point that he'd actually consider taking them off. Uh, so there, there are just some players in that squad; they are never ever going to have the mentality that's required uh, for, for United to be. Yeah. When you talk about a credible force, you talk about a team that are going to challenge for the title. Liverpool have only won one title under Klopp, but their mentality has been spot on in seasons where they haven't won the title because they've pushed City so close. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about a Premier League title challenge, you watched Manchester City the other night against Arsenal and they were just exceptional, just another level, weren't they? And you think, even if United get 
three world-class signings, can they close the gap to City? Um, next season, I personally have my doubts anyway, so next season, maybe yeah, after that, uh, of continued progress. We'll leave that there for part one. Anyways, Jensen, we'll look at some positives for part two. Ty, there was obviously some really good individual performances, probably before the changes were made, actually. Um, I thought Luke Shaw really stood out again, uh, a natural left-back, but you might not know it if you'd only just started following football and watching United, because really good again at centre-half. Um, Harry Maguire wasn't in the squad, he picked up a, a knock in training, um, and me and Samuel kind of discussed in the preview podcast whether he would come into the side. But I mean, looking ahead to Villa, Shaw's kind of made that position his own at the time being, isn't he? Because he's been that good with uh, Martinez and Varane out. You're surely going to start uh, Luke Shaw and Lindelof at centre-half any day of the week at the moment. Yeah, I think that's got to be uh, your first-choice pair. And I thought they were really good in the, the FA Cup semi-final and, and good again last night, despite ending up 2-2. I think there's an argument Shaw was, was probably United's best player in the end. Um, yeah. he, you know... His passing is similar to Martinez. You can see why Tenag wants that left-footed option. Um, I thought he defended really well. He covered Kane well. He got in good positions to cut out crosses. It was just a really, a really good centre-back's performance. And you know his record there is is very good. I don't think United have lost in the. I think it's eight games now. He started at centre half, and I don't think they've lost. And you know it includes away at Barcelona, at home to Manchester City, away at Tottenham. He's playing tough games and 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 not. You know, United are avoiding defeating them, so his you know his record is excellent. I think, and you know Lindelof's had two two good games as well. I thought they got they got things right against Brighton in the way they defended, and first half especially last night they they were good. They were got a little bit rattled at times in the second half, but but generally defended well. And I think at the moment with Ferran and Martinez out, you would say that they are your your first choices in in, in those positions, and it'd be interesting to see going forward. What what Ten Hag does in terms of a backup for Martinez because we have seen Maguire play there. He played at left sided centre back throughout under Solskjaer and Ranić really, but Ten Hag clearly wants that left footer and and Shaw Shaw gives him that. The the only question then is who plays at left back and Malasia is really struggling at the moment. He was caught caught out for the second goal last night when he he just left his left his station once United had cleared the ball and. You know, it hadn't been cleared sufficiently and Kane was in behind him. Dal- you're then playing Dalawa Wambasaki. You've got both your right-backs on the pitch at the same time if, if Shaw's playing in that centre-back role. So, so it'll be interesting to see going forward what he does. And I think as good as Shaw is, he's, he's also an excellent left-back and he makes United a lot better when he's playing left-back as well. But if, if that is to be the case and you've got Maguire and Lindelof competing to be Varane's backup, then it only really strengthens the argument to sell one of them, I think. And there, there seems to be a little point in, in having both around the club and at the moment you'd probably say Lindelof is ahead of Maguire I think there's probably less mistakes in him his, his ceiling might not be as high but we've not seen Maguire reaching that level for, for a little while now and, and Lindelof is probably a little bit more reliable but as a partnership the last two games I, I have been really impressed with him and sure especially I think his, his defending's been good and his distribution's been excellent Hindsight's a wonderful thing, but it's amazing to think Shaw was keeping, uh, sorry, Malassia was keeping Shaw at the team, wasn't it, at the start of the season after Brighton in, in Brentford and Shaw got dropped mm-hmm. to the bench and Malassia came in and he was hooked in successive games, wasn't he? And that was the end of him and Shaw came back to the side. Uh, Samuel, you kind of, I think you said in your blog post, that was the Sancho of Borussia Dortmund 
uh, when he found the back of the net in the seventh minute. What a finish it was, cutting inside, finding the corner. Um, but you, you're right exactly with that. That's the kind of thing we're accustomed to seeing when he was in Germany. We've talked about his consistency this season, or, or lack of, um, but it would be brilliant to see those kind of performances, his first hour against Tottenham. It'd be great to see that going forward consistently, wouldn't it? And that's what Tenog needs to see next season. It certainly solves a, an issue of some sort because <clears throat> the way the attack is, is shaping up for next season in terms of possible outgoings, uh, United don't want to bite off more than they can chew really there um, because as, as although Sanchez had two underwhelming years to, to put it uh, to put it politely that there is potential there and, and I, I think United would be very reluctant to write him off um, so so prematurely especially given the, the chances or the, I mean some players have had more lives than a cat um, considering they're still at United, I mean, it's it's easy to forget that Donny Van Der Beek is still at United, and Eric Bay is still contracted to Who? to Manchester United as well. And it was a really well taken goal. What, what I liked about him was that you you kind of sense that he was what he was going to do, or what he wanted to do with Eriksson being used as a decoy. But I didn't realise that the the gap and the time he had to find that gap. It was not a big gap. And of course, someone, if you leave it another second, that gap might go. But he just moved his feet so, so quickly. And at first I thought maybe Forster could have done better with it. But I just think it was a really good goal. And it was important for him that finally he actually showed up as a starter. Because that has been that has been the issue he's had this season. And I suppose to an extent, that, that performance last night was reminiscent of his performances in, in August and, and September. And that he'd get a goal in the first half. And then he his contribution after it was not particularly profound. It was certainly the case against Liverpool. He scored a very well-taken goal. Then he didn't do too much. Um, slightly similar against Leicester. I thought last night his productivity after he scored was still pretty good, especially in the first half. I mean, he, Ten Hag said afterwards, and with, with some justification, he should have got another one where he had that deflected shot that was nodded off the line by Dyer. He faded in the second half uh, for the 15 minutes he was on, but I think everybody in the United shirt did at that point. And the challenge for him now is that he's got to build on that performance and try and be more consistent. And if he does do that, then he should have a long-term future at United. It was it was a bold selection by Ten Hag, I think, to have um, to have rewarded Sancho for his his contribution against Brighton as a substitute. And just lay down the gauntlet and say, okay, you you came on, you did well, you stuck your penalty away, exercise some demons after the the Euros final two years ago. Right now, show me what you can do as a starter. And he gets a goal inside seven minutes. So that's that's what you want to see from him. And he's he's shown in that with with the timing of it as well, I suppose, where he did get that goal so early on, that he has got it in him. But he's got to be consistent now. And you, you will. A lot of United fans will be pleased for him because with with Marshall being in the team recently, he had four starts, he had one good game, no goals. Why why should he continue leading the line? And Rashford did very well as a striker last night and he's he's clearly got a pretty good understanding with, with Sancho. They, they seem to get on. Obviously, they've been the England camp a number of times together. And they, they did dovetail very nicely uh, against a, 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 an admittedly porous Tottenham defence. But that does bode well going ahead in that if, if Ten Hag can call upon, we, we can talk about squad management, but if with the Garnacho contract announcement, if you've got Rashford, Sancho and Garnacho 
uh, all in your squad consistently throughout a season uh, with maybe two of them starting or one starting two of them to come off the bench that's the level of quality you want and Sancho's best performances this season have tended to come uh, off the bench certainly his best performance this season was was against Leicester in the second half when he came on United have been dreadful in the first half and he, he pretty much took the game away from Leicester so he's he's got it in him but there have just been too many times during his United career where it's felt like it's too big a club for him. And I, I hope for his sake that he can he can turn a corner here and he can um, build on that performance last night because, he's he, he, as I said, he's got the talent. He, he, he clearly wants to do well. He's, he's done his utmost to um, get his way back into the team. It's, it's been a, a soul-searching season for him, but he's... You know, Tide did him in the mix zone while I was observing, waiting for Ten Hag at Leicester, and he, he he was very polite and he shook everyone by the hand, including the cameraman there, and gestures like that. They they do go a long way, and you you do will a player to to succeed. Unfortunately for him, it's it's not happened this season, but there are still some very important games ahead for him to have a big role um, in in what could still be a very successful end to the season for United. It would be nice to see Sancho end the season strongly in the coming weeks. Um, moving on, I discovered last night that Tyrone Marshall is a very, very difficult man to impress. I sent him uh, the footage. I said, "Have you checked Alexander Isaac's goal? Uh, sorry, assist Tyrone." And he said, "Yes, I saw the assist, but uh, I thought it was a fluke." So I wasn't very, very pleased with that comment, Ty. Shinned it. That's an absolute disgrace. It's a disgraceful comment. So I'm going to coax, go try to coax some praise out over here, finally, for Marcus Rashford, right? We've used to build this from all season. He scored 29 goals now. Obviously, fantastic finish last night. He's now chasing Van Persie's record, who was the last player at United to score 30 goals um, in a season. So come on, Ty. A bit of energy, a bit of positivity. What a, what achievement that is, isn't it? To, well, oh. when he reaches 30 goals. Fantastic, yeah. I mean, twice, twice the player of that Alexander Isaac for me. Um, yeah, he's you know he's been brilliant. I thought I thought his all round play as a, a striker last night was so much better than it than it has been at times. He's he's done well this season, moving into the centre forward position during games. And there was there was a spell in January where he'd basically get moved into centre forward in the last twenty twenty five minutes, and within five minutes he'd, he'd have scored. Last night he was starting there and I just thought his combination play with teammates was good. His hold-up play was good. His play with his back to goal was good. Um, you know, the run he made for the goal was good. He, you know, he burned past Eric Dyer. It was a great ball from Fernandes, but the, the run and the finish was was brilliant. He should probably have had another goal. The, the chance at the back post um, from, I think it was Eriksson's cross in the first half. You, you know, you put Harry Kane in that position and you'd probably think Harry Kane's going to score it, but... Yeah, I thought you know I thought Fernandez was really uh, Rashford was really good and, and like I say I, I wouldn't have moved him from that centre forward position the way he was playing and the no. the problems he was he was causing Tottenham it's it's a matter of time until he gets thirty goals it's it's probably going to be next week at some point the way he's the way he's playing the confidence he's got in front of goal it's been a, a phenomenal season and a phenomenal turnaround in his in his United career and he does just look whether it's on the left wing or through the middle or even on the right very occasionally he just looks a threat when he's playing at the moment and, and that goal last night was just you know classic classic centre forward play wasn't it a good run more pace more power than the central defender and, and just a ruthless finish so yeah he's um he's been been very very impressive this season 
when Rashford's full of confidence, it's a it's a sight that beholds him. Yeah. He almost just acts on on instinct. He just does it not very naturally. Um, we'll leave it there then for part two. We'll be back in a moment for part three. For a bit of Harry Kane chat and a preview for Aston Villa. Now, Samuel, the United away support were in fine voice on Thursday night and they were singing, Harry Kane, we'll see you in June, which was uh, an interesting chant. And apparently Kane was asked about it in the mix zone after and he raised a little smile and he said he confirmed that he heard the chant. I'd hope so, because I thought I could hear it on the TV and uh, pretty sure Harry Kane could hear it in the stadium. Now, a fantastic strike, Samuel. We've discussed the, the debate between him and Osherman uh, at length on this podcast, really, but... There seems to be a bit of pace gathering behind Kane. Um, do you think it's likely we could see him? I'll not use the word likely, but do you think it's possible that we could see him at Old Trafford by the start of next season? You can imagine <clears throat> Daniel Levy hearing that chant and thinking the absolute <laughs> grimacing. Them. To think that I would, no, to, to think that I'd, I'd I'd sign off a transfer in June I mean, over, over Daniel Levy's head. <laughs> would that ever happen? It would be. Uh, <laughs> It'd be closer to to October than than, than June getting that done. Um, I mean, there is a little bit of momentum around him, but also United are reluctant to get involved in in Levy's games. They they are well aware of his reputation. They are well aware of how he operates. They they've probably done as much due diligence on Daniel Levy as they have on on Kane, speaking to people who who, who know Levy, and you, you just. The, the United haven't signed anyone from Tottenham since 2008 and that Berbatov deal went down to, to deadline day it was concluded like very late on deadline day as well it was it was dark you could I, th- I think there was a camera outside Old Trafford and you could see him being guided through the corridors of the the offices in in, in the east stand and that only then was there co- that effectively the confirmation that the deal was getting done because City had been taken over earlier that day and belatedly bid for Berbatov because they had all this cash and that just upped his value. So United had to pay a little bit more uh, to get him. And w- watching Kane last night, there's, I mean, he would improve any team in the world. He's not necessarily the best striker in the world, but he is a great footballer. He has been world class for probably six or seven years. To to have sustained that level of consistency and quality. Uh, you have to be a world-class player. He's he's broken the two um, key scoring records. That I mean, the 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 England scoring record, Bobby Charlton's that 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 was um, that was wasn't broken until Wayne Rooney. That that survived for I think Rooney broke it in 2015. So that survived for a very long time. Uh, it would have been 45 years, I think. And and Kane has taken it off Rooney in in, in eight years. And I think Kane only made his England debut that, that year as well in 2015. He's an awesome striker. And the the interesting thing about him at the moment now is that he's he's not an out-and-out number nine anymore. And he hasn't been for a while. He's he's brilliant at dropping off into the pockets and, and at dictating the game. And I think he dictated it a bit on on Thursday night as well. But his, his, his awareness, his, his footballing intelligence is, is one of the best in the game. He, he just senses... How things are going to pan out, the way he plays the ball, um, his his creativity—it's—it's it's a sight to behold. And I mean, Ten Hag was very effusive speaking about him on 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 Wednesday at his his pre-match press conference. And I mean, 
I've I've written already that he he's he's his ideal target for for the summer and why wouldn't he be and I think Kane is just about attainable but it it will still be it will still be a lofty fee understandably so even though he's going to have one year left on his contract and it's just how United go about negotiating that I suppose if they're emboldened to go down that road and why wouldn't you be given the situation at Tottenham even though it is Daniel Levy who's still the chairman and I I, I know Rio Fernand what, what he, I mean we've, we've discussed more about Rio Fernand the, the wannabe technical director who wanted to give Ole Gunnar Solskjaer a never-ending contract but a stop clock is right twice a day and what he said about Levy is as fanciful as it sounds but when he said that he should sell Kane early I, I do agree with him that because I think that's the best thing for Tottenham in that Tottenham have got to be resigned to Kane leaving get it out of the way quickly get your money in and replace him quickly and just move on because the problem with Berbatov in 2008, and this is, I always come back to this example when I've, I've always cited Levy as the biggest problem at Spurs, is that because he held out for the highest fee possible, he didn't replace him. They, they sold Berbatov at a profit of 20 million for a player that they'd signed two years earlier. But involved in the deal was loaning Fraser Campbell from United as if that was going to sharpen Tottenham's uh, attack. They'd already sold Robbie Keane earlier in that summer to Liverpool. Their main striker signing was Roman Pavlyshenko, who, as a squad player, was was fine for Tottenham, but he was certainly not worthy of mentioning the same breath as Berbatov. And so what Levy did was that although he strengthened um, and improved Tottenham's bank balance, he weakened the team. Tottenham didn't win a Premier League game until October that season, and that was with Harry Redknapp in charge because they'd had to sack Juan de Ramos. So when when people talk about the great work Levy's done for Tottenham, he has in the, the stadium, but he is the big problem there because he doesn't always look at it through a footballing prism. And obviously the supporters, the vast, vast majority of supporters do. And that's always a relevant example. And it, the, the relevance, it's more relevant now. Um, it's relevant now more than ever because of United's interest in Kane. It would be a drastic departure from the norm from how Levy operates if he were to do that. But I do think that is the best thing for Tottenham to do. They've just got to accept that that they're not going to meet uh, Kane's ambitions. Uh, they're not going to meet his objectives. He's not won anything, but he is one of the club's greatest players. He's the club's greatest goal scorer. He's, his commitment last night and throughout his time, you, you, you can't question it. Obviously, he wanted to sign for City that time. You can question that part of the commitment, but why wouldn't he have wanted to sign for City at the time? And it never impacted his form. He's year after year, he's been one of, if not the best players at Spurs. And sometimes you just have to accept something that you don't want to accept. And I, I suspect Daniel Levy still won't accept it. But if you're looking at it pragmatically, I think that would that be the advisable thing to do. Um, but it's. I don't think there's any chance of it happening like that because it's it's Levy, you know, it's it, it wouldn't be the show that it is with him if if Tottenham would say yeah you can have Harry Kane for hundred million just let's get it done in June. It, Tottenham and and Daniel Levy just they do not operate that way. A very very stubborn man, uh, but like myself, um, Samuel, did you do an impression of the Glazers in your answer there, calling Harry Kane an awesome striker? I I didn't no. <laughs> No, I, I really wasn't. Uh, no. Do that American that, impression. That's what pierced the bill. It was just a superlative <laughs> that 
<laughs> that, uh, that I thought he was worthy of, but no, I I don't know what an impression of Avram or, or Joel Glazer would would be like, as that they they but never speak, talk, so, never yeah. speak, exactly, exactly. Uh, Ty will move on. Obviously, a, a big game at the weekend on Sunday afternoon against Aston Villa, mm-hmm. who have really really improved actually since the second of Steven Gerrard. Who would have thought? Um, he's the kind of new Steve Bruce of management, I think. Um, they've got in Unai Emery, who's done a fantastic job. They're now six or. <laughs> Look, Samuel, fantastic playing career, terrible, terrible manager. We've well, also discussed that. Been promoted a couple of times. No, reject doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He's got more promotions than Eddie Howe, in fact. Yeah, I think he has. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Steve to Eddie Howe is that fella who relegated Bournemouth. Uh, look who's had the last laugh yeah. since then. Um, anyways, Ty, it is going to be a tricky game in all seriousness. Um, but before I ask you about that, can you remember who was captain? When uh, United played Villa at Villa Park in the November. That's easy. Cry, yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo. I thought he meant Villa captain for a minute. Far too easy. It was far yeah, too easy. Ronaldo. The, yeah. the reason I wanted to bring that game up, I mean, it was 3 1. Obviously, Fernandez didn't play, did he? Uh, Van der Beek uh, started as a number 10. Oh, yeah. But they've got yeah, a point yeah. to prove, don't they? Because that was Emery's first game in charge. It was a really good performance from Villa. And they've made great improvements since. So it's, it's going to be a really tricky game. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think Villa was 16th that day, and it. it it felt like a poor result for, for United and it still probably is a fair result. But Villa since then have been incredible, really. They've gone from 16th to 6th. They've got a real chance of, of European football and Europa League football next season. I think they're 10 games unbeaten. They've won eight. They thrashed Newcastle the other week. They're just they're, they're playing really well. They've got a, a, a goal scorer in Ollie Watkins who... He's, he's getting a lot of chances at the moment. He's not just scoring goals. It, it you know it doesn't it doesn't look like a a hot run you sometimes get from from a striker um, that that will eventually go back to the mean. It, it looks like under Emery he's got a system that's really working for Watkins. Um, I think he was he won't be on much of the day the other week or something like that. Watkins talking about how Emery has changed his game and told him to make different runs and and staying away from centre halves and not getting involved in battles and things like that and. You watch him now and he's just getting a, a lot of chances. I think he had quite a few chances in that Newcastle game. Um, he had a few chances in their last home game as well. I can't remember who that was against. But they they do look a real threat at the moment. They look a really good team. They're, I mean, they, they are, besides City, maybe the form team in the league, I'm guessing, with, with that result. Eight wins and two draws in, in 10 games has, has got to be up there and it, it will be a, a real test. Like I say, it, it was a shock when United lost that, that game at Villa Park. They were really poor that day, um, even though it was Emery's first game in charge. They will feel like they've kind of already put that to bed, I guess, by beating them at home in, in the um, Carabao Cup a few days later. But this will be a tricky game. And it will be, you know, we've, it, it's kind of this weird top four race where no one's really making a move. And, and United are holding everyone at arm's length. And I think we'd all be amazed if they didn't get there. But every week we we say they can they can kill it now and they don't quite kill it or they haven't quite killed it off enough and they're still in total control of um, of their own destiny and finishing fourth. But if somehow they were to to slip up against Villa, then you, you would see this week as a big week because like I said, they've got Brighton away where I don't think they'll get a result and they've got West Ham away where it's the type of away game they've been doing a lot better in, but but West Ham are also picking up some form. It seems like they're pulling away from the relegation zone. It it can be a tricky place to go, especially for United. There's there's always animosity there from a West Ham point of view towards United. It's going to be a Sunday night kickoff, so I don't think United will want to go into those back-to-back games on the back of failing to beat Villa at home. I think it would leave them a little bit nervous, especially if 
Liverpool have beaten Tottenham on, on Sunday. We were talking as we left the ground last night and saying the only the only scenario you can see where United don't get top four is if Liverpool go on a run and, and win all their remaining games, really. And the way Liverpool have been playing, you'd still say that's unlikely. But if they were to beat Tottenham and United don't beat Villa, I think there would be an, an element of nerves for United with, with those two away games, as easy as their running is after that. So, so yeah, it is a difficult game, but... They've lost once at home all season. That was on the opening day. They've only, like I said, they've only conceded eight goals at home all season. So, as good as Villa are playing, you would still expect United to to have enough and and get the victory. Yeah, the home form has been outstanding, hasn't it? Um, any changes then, guys? Last question before we end. I've not uh, checked either your panels or the pleasure of setting it up today. Um, would, would either of you make any changes from the from the Tottenham game? No, no, probably not. I think just, I mean, Eriksson should be. Fresh, Sancho should be fresh. Sancho got a goal. There's, there's no incentive to, to bring anyone in. Um, as, as, yeah, as I'd, have, I'd have Harry Maguire, my team personally. You can't, you, you can't take Villa lightly at the moment, where they've <laughs> won eight and drawn two of their last ten. I mean, it's, it's a remarkable record. And I think Emery, in terms of permanent upgrades of managers, it's, it's more of an upgrade than United had from going from Solskjaer to to Ten Hag I think Solskjaer is a better manager than Steven Gerrard I think the way Gerrard conducts himself at Villa at times was I mean, it was, it was like how he was as a player the whole Stevie Me persona of you know people should just be blessed to have me in the in the building when you know, Aston Villa are actually quite a big club and he was he was actually very lucky to to be there but Emery's a he's got a ceiling but he's he's a terrific terrific coach operate operating within those uh, those confines Lampard and Gerrard are definitely the new age of those kind of managers, I'm telling you. They can they dine out on their playing that career. That would be the next question. In, oh, God. <laughs> could you imagine? <laughs> but it's a black. Um, well. Any plans for Saturday, gents? Any interesting plans before signing off? Anything worth uh, knowing none about? That, none that our listeners no. are, can be bothered to, to hear about. No, no, Stephen. But I'm, I'm no, sure no. if, if yeah. you're tired of it. A pilgrimage to St James's and to see the tomb, then, then I'm sure they'll uh, they'll indulge you. I've not been back in a while, to be fair. The tire thought we had that um, the, the chess tournament tomorrow in Northern Quarter. Do you not remember mentioning that a few months ago? That's tomorrow. We oh, is that tomorrow? Time. Oh yeah, I better do some yeah. practice tonight then. You know, I'll uh, I'll see you there. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Talk about partnerships, you're useless, mate. Sorry, it's mate. Busy calendar. Busy calendar. Just before we go, obviously check the podcast out on Spotify, YouTube, uh, etc. And we'll also have an extra Manchester's Red podcast um, with every word from Tenog's press conference after the game on Sunday afternoon. Before we return on Monday to do it all again, review the game, etc. And look ahead to Brighton. So thank you very much for listening. Take care. Bye now.